We are in John uh, chapter 14, so uh, if you're not familiar where John is, in the kind of second half of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, and if, you, if you've got a hard copy there or if you've got an app, you just go to the book of John there, and like I said, the text is going to be on the, the screen. And, and John, um, if you're not familiar, was an eyewitness to the life and the ministry of, of Jesus. So John followed Jesus around for, uh, for three years. Uh, he saw him do miracles. He heard his teaching. Uh, and then John saw him crucified, uh, which kind of rattled him. And then he saw the empty tomb. And, and the reason that we uh, read and look at John is because John believed uh, Jesus is the Son of God. And John believed that uh, so much that with the rest of his life, everywhere that John went, uh, people became followers of Jesus. And eventually, uh, the government got so fed up with him uh, that they exiled him to an island called Patmos. And John, uh, he wrote this book, and he wrote three more uh, called First uh, John, uh, get ready for this, Second John, and Third John. So very creative titles. Uh, and then he wrote a book called Revelation. Um, but John's whole point uh, that he's trying to get you to see in his writings is that Jesus is God. So when John summarizes all that he had seen and all that he has heard, this is what he tells us. In fact, in the prologue to this book, in John chapter 1, verse 14, this is what he says. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling, his tabernacle, made he, he was among us And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And he describes Jesus like this. He's full of grace and full of truth. John's summary is God showed up in a body. He dwelt among us. And this is who he is. Jesus is God. Now, if that's true, we got to deal with that. If John's telling the truth, if Peter's telling the truth, if James, the brother of Jesus, is telling the truth, then we have to, we got to deal with that because if they are, then Jesus shows us what God is like and what God wants and what God's doing in the world. That, that's why God put on flesh and lived among us and went through what we went through to show us God. And this story um, is a disruptive story to many people because everyone thought that they'd have to do certain things to get up to God. That's what their kind of whole system was built on. We have to do some things to, so that we can get to God. But yet God came down to them. And, and not just in any way, God shows up as a, as a baby of all things and, and a poor working class family and he becomes a construction worker and then he walks around virtually homeless with this kind of ragtag group of unimpressive guys and the, the thing that's so unique about the story is that if you're going to make up a story about God, you wouldn't write it this way. You, you wouldn't put it this way. It'd be a lot more grand. It, 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 it'd have a lot more kind of like pomp and circumstance around it. But the men who were there to experience Jesus, this is, they tell us this is how it happens. And the conversation this morning uh, that we're going to have uh, is a conversation that Jesus has with his followers, his disciples, as he's ending the, as he's kind of nearing the end of his ministry. And what has happened, just for context, if you've not been around when we were in John, uh, and if you're not familiar with what happens in John chapter 14, just for kind of context of the story, Jesus has just 
really dropped a bomb on his followers. These guys who've been with him for the past three years, they've seen him, uh, they've heard his teaching, they've seen him do incredible things. Uh, and Jesus, it, and it's actually kind of like a multi-stage bomb that he's just dropped on them in the upper room. Uh, one, there was a, a, a moment where he washed their feet, which was kind of scandalous and borderline ridiculous for a rabbi to do to his followers. Um, and then he says, well, one of you is actually going to betray me, which how could one of us who'd been with you for three years, Jesus, how could one of us betray you? He says, one of you is going to betray me. And then Peter, who's the most uh, kind of audacious and adamant follower of Jesus, Jesus says about him, you are actually going to deny me. And then Jesus says, and then I'm leaving and you can't come with me. That's kind of the context of the conversation that we're going to drop in on this morning. Um, but we, need, we want God to talk to us this morning. We want to hear from him. We want the scriptures to come alive to us. Uh, and that doesn't depend on me or what I can do. Um, that's a work of the spirit of God. So we're going to pray right now. And we're just going to invite God into this moment. Um, and we're going to ask that we would actually hear from him. So would you just, um, just pray with me? Father in heaven, we love you. And God, I, I am so thankful for what we've already sung about you. And God, um, we've already proclaimed uh, that you are a burden-lifting God, that you're a salvation-bringing God. God, that fear is removed because uh, in your presence, perfect love casts out all fear. And so, God, I just want to say amen to all those things and thank you for all those things and believe all those things because of you. God, right now, as we open your word, I'm praying that you would speak something very specific to each and every one of us. God, your word's living and your word is, is active. Uh, it's the very breath of God on a page. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you speak to us? Would you illuminate the scriptures? Make them come alive to us. God, give us exactly what we need. If, if there are places uh, of conviction, Spirit, would you bring it? God, by your kindness, would you lead us to repentance? God, where we need to be reminded once again of who you are. God, some of us for the very first time need to be introduced to you for the very first time. Lord, there's so many things that need to happen in this moment and they can only happen um, if you're working. So Holy Spirit, would you come? And I just, I wanna invite you just to pray something very simple just in this next moment. Just pray, God, would you just speak to me? Let me hear from you, God. So just take, just take a moment, just pray that, that, that very thing right there. And God, I don't want to ask people to do something that I'm not ready to do myself. So Lord, would you speak to me? Holy Spirit, would you just impress upon me your word? Would you interrupt me even? Jesus, we love you. We want to see you. It's in your name we pray, amen. John chapter 14, verse one, this is what Beth read for us just a moment ago. This is how Jesus starts. Remember the context, remember what's been happening. Remember the disruption that they're all kind of faced with. He says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The word troubled here, it means uh, stirred up. It's kind of like a word picture, like if there was water that was disrupted, Jesus is saying, look, I understand the suspicion. I understand the confusion. I understand the dis disappointment that you have. And right now, in your heart, it feels 
like a stormy sea. It's a stormy sea that's all stirred up with anguish and doubt and confusion. You're troubled. And it's funny that Jesus says this here. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. As if we have some kind of control over that. It's like if your kids are up real rattled and you're like, can you just please calm down? I'm like, I can't calm down. If I could calm down, I would calm down. I can't calm down. We'll just calm down. That's kind of what it feels like. But he says, let not or don't let your heart be troubled. And really what Jesus is saying there is like, don't let your heart be unnecessarily stirred up. And the disciples are like, nope, we're stirred up, man. We, we just heard that you're leaving. We can't go with you. We are not very popular right now. And they, they leave us alone because they're kind of afraid of you. They've seen the miracles. But the religious leaders, as soon as you're gone, they are coming after us. It's bad for us. I, I want to stop for a second because I, I want us to really engage with the Scripture and not just make it some story that happened a long time ago, but engage with it today. And the question I want you to kind of hold in your heart and hold in your mind, um, as you're listening to this, as you're listening to Jesus say, don't let your heart be troubled, what is troubling you today? What's got you stirred up? What's framing how you're hearing this today? What's troubling you? And Jesus says, you believe in God. The guys all nod, yes, we do. And he says, believe also into me. He's saying something pretty massive here. He's saying the same trust that you have in God, transfer that trust to me. The same level that you trust God, trust, God, trust me at that same level. The, the, the Greek here is a little uncertain on how this is to be read because it could be either do not let your hearts be troubled, you trust in God and you trust in me, or it could be don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. And either way is true today, whether, whether you've already stepped into that place or whether that's not a reality that's, that's yet, you need to step into that. Now, I have to acknowledge, if you're ever in a conversation with someone and they start talking like this, they start talking like, hey, you trust God, yeah? Well, trust me the same way you trust God. You probably just need to back away from that conversation and kind of excuse yourself because that's a little crazy. But it's either ridiculous or it's true, and John believes it's true, which is why he gives this to it. Look at verse two. It says this, my father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Okay, again, let's kind of put ourselves in their sandals for a second. Okay, Jesus, you're leaving, but we can't go with you. And you're going to prepare some kind of place for us, and then somehow, somehow, you're gonna come back for us and take us with you. That's what you're saying. Jesus is like, that's what I'm saying. Okay, wait, what? The big theme is here, Jesus said, I'm going. I'm here, I'm going there. I'm going to prepare a place. I'm gonna come back to get you and I'm taking you to where I am so that where I am, you can be with me. That's the plan. I mean, that's a powerful plan. He says, believe in God. Yeah, believe in me. 
because that's the plan. The plan is heaven, a personal future experience of the presence of Jesus. He's getting at the reality of heaven, and he calls it his father's house. It has many rooms. In the scripture, uh, there, there's lots of different analogies for what heaven is. It's, it's a, a city, a country, a kingdom, a paradise. And here he's saying, it's my father's house. There's many rooms, and I'm going to make sure that there's room for you. God's mansion, the father's estate, is going to have a room for you. There is a specific place, Jesus is saying, that God is going to have prepared for you. I'm going to have it built specifically for you, and you can be sure of it. It's not going to be like you go to the hotel and be like, sorry, no reservation, or we don't have your room. It's not that. He's saying, no, I, I am going to personally promise a place for you that I'm preparing. Jesus is saying, listen, I know. I know everything that's going on here. But I want you to hold on to this. I have a place for you. I'm going to prepare it. What, for the Christian, the son of the living God is preparing a place for you. What Jesus is teaching, when the last breath leaves your body, Jesus is there to take you to a place that he's prepared for you so that you can be with him. I thought that was a pretty big deal this week when I read it, but I guess it's just okay to you guys. So it's a, it's a big deal. So when he's talking about uh, a picture of a room in a father's house, it would really resonate with these Hebrew men because uh, what he's talking about in this culture, when a man would marry a woman, uh, he would then prepare a place for her at his father's house or his estate, they would build a room um, onto the father's existing home. It's this Hebrew idea of, of insula. So it's multi-generational housing. In that culture, uh, you, you wouldn't grow up and move out and move away. Everybody kind of lived in the same like compound. And so you'd have these different rooms that were built onto this house. Uh, and then you'd have grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and sons and daughters. And everybody would just be kind of all living uh, together. For some of you, this sounds like a nightmare, but this is what, this is how they would live. And so young men, they wouldn't leave home. They would just build on to the house of their, their father. And so when a young man would go to a woman and say, I want, I want to marry you, her concern would be, uh, do you have room in your house? He'd be like, yeah, no problem, baby. We're going to live with my parents. We're going to live with my dad. It's awesome. He's got a big house. Lots and lots of room. Big yard. We can play football. Anybody know that song? <clears throat> it's a big, big house. It's my father's house. And so the father would have wealth and stability and position and, and, and power. And so when the young man starts to talk about my father's house, the bride would feel cared for and supported. And so then what would happen is the groom would then go back to his father's house and the groom and the father together would prepare a place for this woman. And so like in this day and in this culture and in this time, in, in, this, in this moment, there was a lot of just anticipation around when is the groom going to return? When would the father finally say the building is prepared, the room is finished, it's time it's time for you, the groom, to go and get your bride and bring her. And there would be this huge, huge celebration, like week-long celebration that they would have. 
And when Jesus is talking about preparing a home for us, he's pointing ultimately to his death and his burial and his resurrection as a means for us to be with him. He, he's saying here, the cross that I'm about to go to, it's preparation for you to be with me. Jesus is saying, I, I have a father's house. You are the bride. I'm going to pay the bride price, the ultimate price for you to be with me. There's room. I'm going to take you in. And it's not going to be built through human construction, but the room that I'm building for you is built through my resurrection. And because of me, Jesus says, you're going to have access to the Father like I do. All the benefits of sonship like I have, you're going to have. You're going to be with me. We're going to be with the Father together. I don't know everything about heaven, but I do know this. There's nothing greater about heaven than we will be with Jesus. You're going to have full awareness that you are spending forever with Jesus. So he lays all that out to them Verse four, he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Now, here's what I really enjoy about the Bible. Here's what I like about the Bible is it's very real. It's, it's full of real people, real experiences. And so they're gonna act the way that real people do. They're gonna talk the way that real people do. So Jesus says, look, you know the way to the place I'm going. And Thomas in verse five is kind of the only person at the moment with the guts to say, uh, no, we don't. We don't get it. We have no idea what, we're talk what you're talking about. Look at verse 5. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus, we understand that you know what you're talking about. You seem like very sure of what you are talking about, but we have no idea. This verse is, is personally very comforting to me because there's sometimes where uh, after I'll preach, I'll have a conversation with somebody uh, that somebody most of the time is my wife and she'll just be like, yeah, I didn't get it. I don't know what you were talking about there. And Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time. And here he has a guy who says, look, I don't get it. But here's what he's trying to say. I've got my father's house, many rooms. I'm preparing it for you. Mic drop powerful message. Let's go. Who wants to go? Thomas says, I don't get it. And they put that in the Bible, which is amazing because it tells me that there's room for confusion. Because some of you might be confused about this whole concept. There's room for doubt. Because some of you might doubt this as truth or doubt this as reality. So Jesus, he's going to try to clarify it for them, and he clarify it for us, he says in verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, some people, you'll hear that, and your first flinch is like, that seems pretty narrow. It's actually pretty offensive because it's so exclusive in fact, it's so offensive that this is what gets Jesus killed. This might be the reason why Christianity to you seems like such an obstacle. And we're like, in this day, how can you talk like that? How can you talk that there's only one way? Because there just feels like there's so many other good ways. Like, how can Jesus really be the way. There's a theologian, his name is Andreas Kostenberger, and he says this. He's talking about a religious 
uh, pluralism, which is just alive and well in our culture today. He says this, Jesus' claim to be the way, implying that no one can come to the Father but through him, this is what Jesus is saying, is as timely today as when our Lord first uttered it. For we live in an age of religious pluralism. There's not just one way. There's all kinds of ways. When Christianity's exclusive claims are considered inappropriately narrow, even intolerant, and when pluralism itself has, ironically, become the dogma by which all truth claims are judged. And he says this, pluralism accepts no absolute truth claims other than its contention that there are no absolute truth claims. And you look at what Jesus says there, you say, that's highly insensitive. That's highly intolerant. I mean, what, what about my neighbor? What about my friends? What, what about my family? They're good people. And they're trying to do good things. And I've heard of other religions. I've heard of other ways. And they seem plausible. They seem good. They might be a little off for what Jesus is saying, but they seem like a good option. How could you be so narrow? And you can look at it from the perspective of intolerance. And you can look at that and you say, Jesus, Christianity, the way of following Jesus just seems intolerant. But if you were to look at it from the perspective of invitation, it's Jesus graciously and lovingly saying, no, 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 I'm the way. So you don't have to search all the other ways. I'm, I'm the way. So you don't have to look for truth in other places. You don't have to look for life in another person or place or thing that isn't me. I'm the way. I am truth. I'm life. What Jesus is saying is if you say yes to me, if you say yes to the way that is me, then you can say no to all the other ways that lead to what's false and that leads what, to what's death. What the cross shows us, it shows us, yes, the exclusivity of Christ. If you take the, 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 the vertical beam of the cross, there is only one way. It's the person of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. That is the exclusive way to God, the, ver- the, the, the vertical beam of the cross, the inclusive uh, beam of the cross is the horizontal beam, which is as Tyler taught us last week is that salvation belongs to God and his arm is not too short to save. You are not too far gone. You are not too distant. You are not too lost. There's no one that God can't reach. And all that Thomas knows as he speaks up, he says, look, for the past three years, I've had this life with you, Jesus, and I just, I want to go where you're going. Jesus says, I'm going to the Father. And if you want to go there, and I want you there with me, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. He's talking about the way to God. He's saying, I'm I'm the way to God. I am the truth from God. I am life in God. I don't know if you've ever been to a a town or a place and you didn't have a a, a map for it. You didn't know where you were going. And so you had to stop and ask somebody who was like a local there. My wife is from this small little town in North Georgia. It's this real kind of like country town. And I remember years and years ago when we had first met uh, and I went to her town for one of the first times and we had to go somewhere. This is pre-Google Maps day. This is like 
MapQuest day. Anybody remember MapQuest? So, yeah, this, that's like Google Maps you printed out. So we've come a long way. Um, but I, we didn't even have MapQuest for where we needed to go we were trying to find. So I've kind of pulled over to this, like, gas station or something. I walk inside and ask this guy. I said, hey, I'm trying to get to such and such a place. He goes, oh, yeah. He's like, well, you, all you got to do is just go down to Jed's place. Right, it's right where the tree, that tree that got struck by lightning like six years ago, they used to have all the goats in the front yard. They don't have any goats anymore. A couple of them goats died. It's really too bad about them goats. Hey, Bob, you remember what happened to them goats and that tree and that thing? This guy's trying to get down to the old broken river bend. And then like, he just went on and on. He's like, you know, and I'm like, dude, I'm not from here. I don't know any of those stories. I have no idea what you're talking about. This isn't helpful. That's what those guys are feeling right now. They're like, Jesus, it really sounds like you know what you're talking about but we just don't get it. And Jesus is saying, listen, I know in the past, I've given you parables, I've given you stories, I've given you metaphors, I've given you other ways to describe what I'm talking about, what I'm up to in the world, but I'm just trying to give you the straightest shot possible. I want you to be with me where I'm going, and the way there is me. Nothing else to decipher, no other blueprint, no other plan, nothing to unlock, it's me. I'm, I am the way. I want to take you to the greatest place ever. It's with me for eternity. If you want to know the way, the way that leads to true things, the way that leads to life, I am the way. Verse 7, if you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. These poor guys, it's really just not getting any clearer for them. So Philip has to speak up, and he says this. He says, Lord, uh, just show us the Father. That will be enough for us. He says, nice try, Thomas. Let me take a stab at this. Maybe this will help, God. Uh, We just want to see the Father. Jesus, just show us God, that will just clear all this up. Now, remember, real people, real feelings, real thoughts, real questions, real confusion. Because Philip is asking what all of us have asked at some moment. God, if I could just know for certain that you are real. God, if you could just show me something. God, let me see it. Show me something, preferably not too crazy and not in the middle of the night where it freaks me out, but show me something. Let me see something clearly from you, God, that you're real and that you know me and that you know what's going on in my life. God, that you know that I'm here. I think for most of us, we really want some kind of experience like that. It would be enough just to kind of float our faith through all those sleepless nights where we're tossing and we're turning. We're like, God, are you real? Is this real? Do you see me? Do you know what's going on? If God, if you just show me something, just, would you just show us something? Because this is where Philip's at. This is where a lot of us get to. We're like, God, I... I I hear it, I don't get it, but if you could just show me the Father, he says. If we could just have that confidence, I think we'd be okay with what we were saying. Listen to how Jesus answers him. He says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? So Jesus says that, and all the guys are like, did he just say what I think he said? Because what Jesus is saying is, Philip, I'm as close as you're ever going to get to seeing what God is like in this life. If you want to know the Father, Jesus is saying, in this life, I'm as close as it gets. 
Look at verse 10. He says this, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. He's saying, if you want to know what God says, listen to me. If you want to know what God thinks, listen to what I think. If you want to know what God's perspective is on your money or your time, your relationships, your career, he says, listen to me. You want, to, you want to know what God would do in a certain situation? Watch what I do in those situations. You want to know how God would treat people and how he react to circumstances? Watch me. He's saying, Philip, you will never have a better clue into who God is or, or what he is like than me. Again, this is John's whole point and why he writes is Jesus came to show us what God is like. God wants you to know him at such a personal level that it was not, he, he wasn't content to just send information. He sent himself. God was so interested in you making it personal and not just categorical that he showed up to make it as personal as possible. And he says, instead of making you look up and out and wonder and where he's like, I decided to come down and dwell and be with you, to, to be among you, because I want you to know what is the way and what is the truth and what is life. And I don't want you to spend the rest of your life guessing and wondering and searching. And he's not just claiming, Jesus is not just claiming, I'm the best explanation of God. He's claiming that he is God. People like me, like what I do vocationally, I try to explain this stuff. I try to explain who Jesus is and what he has done and what he thinks and what he's all about. But he takes the things that I could explain as abstract ideas and he embodies them. He is them. We all want to know what is the way. We all want to know what is truth. We all want to know what is real life. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm all of those things. Now, if that's true, which we, I believe it is, the Bible teaches that it is, that's amazing. But if he's lying, this is probably one of those moments where you just kind of like excuse yourself from the meeting. You're like, this is a little too crazy. Because it's only gonna get crazier the next seven chapters, by the way. But if you believe this, if you're a Christian, it's amazing because it means that you get to know what God is like by listening to and watching and even imitating Jesus. Now we got just a few minutes left here and I wanna do something um, to help this land, to help this land in a very personal way this morning, because this is how this passage really ministered to me. Uh, the great reformer Martin Luther says that this is the most comforting sermon that Jesus ever preached, and I, I want us to see that. Because with these guys here, as they're listening to Jesus share all this stuff, remember, go back to the context of how they're hearing it. Because everything that they have understood and everything that they've anticipated and everything that they've hoped for the past three years is like collapsing in on them. And Jesus is speaking into that moment where they just feel like everything's falling apart. We're troubled, we're stirred up because it feels like everything in my life is just collapsing. And we've all experienced that. We've all experienced moments in our life or things in our life where we've invested in something, we've hoped in something, we, we have so much anticipation and so much expectation that's attached to something, and it's collapsed. We have friendships that we've invested in that have fallen apart. Careers, we, we went to school for it, we sacrificed for it, our family sacrificed for it, we moved to a different place for it, it's collapsed. Some of you, your health even right now is just collapsing. Your finances have collapsed. 
Some of you, your faith is collapsing. You ever been to a place of so much expectation, so much promise, so much anticipation, so much hope only to see it fall apart? I've got a good friend. He said um, they have three children, three sons, and all of them were born uh, with a terminal disease, a disease that there is no cure for. And I remember when his first son was born and um, he was sharing with me, he's like, you know, when you find out that you're having a son, when you find out that you're having a child, it's like um, you're waiting at a train station and you have a ticket for this train that's coming and that train is loaded with all your hopes and all your dreams for your son. Of all the times you're going to play catch together, uh, of all the nicknames you're going to come up with for him, of the job that he's going to have, of the things he's going to be interested in, and the sense of humor he's going to have, in, in him getting married someday, and him having children of his own, and what the family reunions are going to look like, and you're just holding a ticket for this train that's loaded with all those hopes and all those dreams and all that anticipation, and you're standing there at the train station, and you see that train coming, and the train comes, and then you hear the news, like the news that we heard about our son. And that train just passes you by because you don't have a ticket for that train. And you have to take the next train coming. And you have no idea what's on that train. You have no idea where that's going. You have no idea what that's loaded with. It's just not what you had hoped for. It's not what you had expected. Because that first train has collapsed. What Jesus is teaching in this passage is that when life is collapsing around you, Christian, you don't have to. When life is falling apart, Christian, Jesus is teaching us, you don't have to. What's amazing about this moment we're thinking about it from the perspective of the disciples and we're putting ourselves in their shoes and looking outwardly and trying to hear what Jesus is saying. What's amazing is that Jesus knows that his death is right around the corner. He knows that his crucifixion is right around the corner. He knows that the moment where he's beaten and whipped and the flesh is pulled from his bone and he's spit on and he's mocked and he's ridiculed and he hangs naked to die in a garbage dump. He knows that that moment is right around the corner and he looks at his boys and he says, you guys all right? You guys good? Don't be troubled. Don't let your heart be unnecessarily stirred up. And he's teaching us this because he identifies with having trouble. He identifies with a stirred up heart, which shows us that that emotion, that reality is not a sinful thing. Jesus is sinless, but he meets that troubled heart with his God-given purpose. And so Christian, if, if the pre-crucifixion Jesus is that concerned about our troubled, stirred up heart, how much more is the resurrection Jesus thoughtful for us? He knows the turbulence that you are in better than you can even imagine. And he is saying, he's speaking this word over his disciples. And I believe he's speaking this word over us this morning in the same way that you believe in God. Transfer that trust to me. How do you deal with trouble? How do you deal with the stirring? How do you deal with the anxiety in your heart? You need to see God in the person of Jesus. Because when you do, in him, you'll find home. That's what Jesus is teaching about here. In the moment of their trouble, in the moment of their stirred up heart, he's trying to give them a picture of what home is like. Home is the 
is the cry of every human heart. I've heard people who've come to faith in Jesus who would say things like, I just felt like I just came home. It felt like coming home, even if they've never been there before. It's like, this just feels like, like home. And the, and the reality is, is like, this, this is not home. Th- this life. And it could be that your heart is troubled. It could be that you're stirred up because you've made this home. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, 11, he said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh. Peter describes us as, as he could have used any descriptor there, but, but, he, but he says, you're sojourners, you're exiles, you, you're people who are living in a temporary situation. He says, with that in mind, I want you to stay away from the things that are going to take away your eternal hope. I urge you not to forget where your true home is because you will become too attached to temporary things. Over fall break, uh, some people in church allowed my family and I to stay uh, overnight at a, a, a cabin in, in Prescott. Just, just one night, just one night, up one night. We're going to hike, fish a little, eat some ice cream down downtown, just one night, one thing. But if you would have looked uh, at how we packed our vehicle, you would have been like, oh, I guess the Artinos are moving to Prescott. Okay. Uh, And I can't pretend like I'm not part of the problem. I am. But if you looked at what we packed, you'd think like, well, they're not going one night anywhere. They're relocating. There's a mentality that you have when you're just going on a trip versus when you're moving somewhere. You don't worry about bringing your couch with you to the Airbnb. My wife and I have special pillows because our necks are bad. We don't bring the whole bed. What Peter is saying, look, the point is we have things in our life, we have circumstances and situations in our lives that we treat like they're eternal, but they're temporary. He says, be very careful of making eternal investment or placing eternal hopes and expectations on temporal things because if you do, you will not travel light in this, in this life. You'll carry things that are heavier. You'll carry burdens like the approval of man or the desire to acquire and impress and indulge. And Jesus says, that burden's too heavy for you. That's not the burden that I offer. Reevaluate the things that you're carrying in this life in light of home. Because Jesus is addressing a fear that we all have. But what if God takes something that actually feels like it's a good thing? What if God, what if God takes that? And many of us have learned that a lot of times it's in the removal of those things that God's actually bringing more freedom. It's in the removal of those things that God's actually creating more space for him in our life. And it could be that God's removed relationships or people or things or opportunities or resources that you thought were going to work out. And God has removed them because we've put too much emphasis or identity on those things. And the good news is that God will continue to do that in us until we're home. And when you can live like that, you won't be unnecessarily stirred up. And when you are troubled, you can trust God. Because when you can live like that, home just hits different. I want to invite the band up. I want to um, play a a short clip. So uh, our our founding pastor, uh, Tom Schrader, Tyler mentioned him uh, last week. I want to play a a clip where Tom is preaching on this. He's actually uh, talking about this. Tom has since uh, passed and gone home to be with the Lord, but he spends a a moment uh, in one of his sermons years ago just talking about this. And I listened to it this week, uh, and it really just kind of brought this 
uh, home for me, uh, him talking about this real idea. So just listen to this real briefly from, from Tom. We'll be done. I've said this before. I've got a great, I love my life. God is, God is so good. God gave me a wife who is, is low maintenance to no maintenance. I'm very high maintenance. I'm very high maintenance. I'm hard to live with, hard to be around, hard to hang with, perfect. I didn't want any boys. I wanted girls. God gave me girls. And then I wanted girls that, that, that were uh, really, uh, not that all girls aren't emotionally balanced, um, but, but really solid. <laughs> girls and I got those and it's like I love my I like I like I, we've been in this house 21 years I love this house but I like the new house I love my job I love my kids I love Tyler God drops Tyler in our life I love my life but I gotta tell you what I'd trade it in a nanosecond to be out of here I'd trade it like that to get out and it's not because I don't love this I just can't wait to get out of here to be with him and I will admit, sometimes the motives aren't pure. Sometimes I'm just tired. I'm tired of this and tired of the sin and tired of the bickering and fighting and all that goes with it. That's not the key part of heaven. The key part of heaven is, and I'm in his presence. We have contact with him now, but it's at a distance. We will be with him Lord, we look for that day. But until that day, Lord, um, would you help us? Would you help us to not put eternal hope and eternal expectation and eternal promise on temporal things? Lord, we believe you when you offer us the opportunity and the invitation to not let our hearts be troubled and to not let our hearts be unnecessarily stirred up. And God, we know you don't just say that to us flippantly because you know what it's like to endure trouble. You know what it's like to be in anguish. You know what it's like and God, our confession this morning is uh, that we've turned to lesser things believing a lie that they were away or that they were true or that they might be life and so you're kind to us this morning to offer us once again the opportunity to see you as the way and the truth and life Jesus we love you it's in your name we pray amen